knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Saddle hunting for me has been a complete, and I hate even saying the word, uh, game changer for how I how I like to hunt. If you've been thinking about getting into a saddle, now is the exact perfect time to do it. You have the entire spring and summer to kind of dangle in the backyard and get prepared for the upcoming season, be able to practice all your shots, getting in and out of the tree, experiment with your different climbing options that you have uh, to lighten your load and be more mobile. If you're interested in getting hooked up and getting into a saddle, I would definitely be checking out Tethered. They have Two great saddles out. One is the new Phantom saddle, which is killer. has a bunch of new comfort features that are built into it, as well as a utility bridge to kind of help with lengthening and shortening the bridge to make sure you have the optimum comfort. And you can get the uh, the OG, as I like to refer to it, uh, that I've been doing my hunting out of the past couple of years, which is the, the Mantis saddle. I might also recommend the Predator platform, especially if you're transitioning from a tree stand to a saddle. It gives, just gives you that little bit uh, sense of familiarity that you would have with a, a platform under your feet that you would have that would be similar to a uh, similar to a tree stand. And it made my transition a couple years ago really seamless from tree stand hunting to to saddle hunting. So if you're interested in checking out more about saddle hunting in general, I would head over to tetherednation.com. Check out all their products. They have some killer YouTube videos. You will thank me later. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 178 
Today I'm joined by Jared Schaefer, and we're talking mobile hunting in the West Virginia mountains. So stay tuned. What is going on, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. <clears throat> hope you're feeling fine. Well, we're off to a great start here with The Voice. Um, hope everyone's doing well out there. You know, this past week, it felt like uh, spring has finally sprung here in Pennsylvania. We got some decent weather, um, that, which was much more conducive to turkey hunting, uh, more so than the, than the past week. We've just had some really weird kind of cold, abnormally cold kind of odd temperatures for for the middle of May. Um, and so this was the first weekend that we finally kind of felt like, you know, we're on the right side of the weather, you know, rolling here toward the end of May, getting closer to that June time frame. Um, turkey season, of course, in Pennsylvania, we've got about two weeks left, a little less than two weeks whenever, when this, uh, when this comes out. Um, and so the weather feels like it's just becoming just a little bit more conducive, uh, conducive for that. So this past weekend, like I'd mentioned in the previous podcast, I did get a chance to head back to the family farm, catch a turkey hunt with my buddy Tate. Uh, which was awesome. Was able to go back and pick up the trailer that I'll be converting it into the uh, the rut wagon. I gotta say, man, you know it's um, you know like ninety. I think last year, whenever I, I was just curious as I was driving home yesterday, you know the couple hours that I had in the car, I was starting to think about like how many hunts last year, as far as like you know percentage of hunts like private versus public, just because I was curious. And I think last year, out of all my hunts, you know, I hunted one day with my dad on his property, the opening day of gun season. Um, I was carrying a bow, of course, but Um, so that was one. And then I don't think I had another one on, I think that was the only hunt that I did that wasn't like some sort of piece of public ground. Um, if memory, if memory serves, not that it, not that it makes a big, big difference, but I was just kind of curious because the reason I started thinking about it was, is I, I couldn't remember the last time I was actually back to the family farm to hunt. Um, and it's been a couple of years since I've been, been back there. And so it was nice to kind of get back there and, uh, and, and do a little turkey hunting. Um, I think, you know, I, I think part of the reason why I enjoy turkey hunting back there so much is that, um, turkey hunting for me, I think I've mentioned in the past is a much less stressful and, and, and much less intense, um, situation than, than deer hunting or, or than, than bow hunting. Um, I'm pretty intense and, and neurotic about, you know, bow hunting whitetails. And so it's really hard for me to kind of be around a group of people or hunt like a specific like chunk of land per se. Um, just cause I like to move a lot. Um, if something's not happening in a, in a spot, um, I want to be able to pick up and just kind of go. Um, and so therefore, like, I'm probably not the best person to be in a deer camp necessarily. Um, you know, especially, you know, if it's, it's, you know, people hunt for all different reasons and all of them are perfectly fine, uh, and correct for those people. It's just, I sometimes don't mesh well, um, with those who are more into that, you know, camp, let's have some beers and hang out and maybe we'll hunt and kill something. Maybe we won't. I'm more in the camp of I'm going to bed early. I'm getting up early and I'm going to grind all day. And if I don't, um, you know, have success, it's like, then I'm going to spend my evening trying to figure out how I'm going to correct whatever mistakes I made the day before or studying maps or whatever the case is. And that's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. So for in large part, you know, I don't go to our family deer hunting camp typically because, um, it's just not the experience that I like during deer season. That being said, you know, it is the experience that I like for turkey hunting because it's like I'm much less, you know, intense and way more relaxed. And so I actually was talking to my father-in-law yesterday about it. I was like, you know what? 
you know, I know it's kind of a bummer, you know, that I don't come down to deer camp any longer because it's just not, you know, I, I, I don't enjoy myself during deer camp. Um, I was like, but I was like, what I would like to do is start doing a turkey camp, you know, the opener of, of every year at the farm. Um, because I do enjoy the company of those guys. And during turkey season, I'm much more relaxed. It's like, if I get some hunting in awesome, if I get to see turkeys, awesome. If I don't awesome, you know, I just have like a much more carefree kind of approach to it. And so I think what we're going to do, you know, in the next few years is go down to the farm for the opening day of turkey season, like the normal camp guys and get together and have some beers and play some cards and hang out, get up Saturday morning, hunt some turkeys, PA the opener, you can only hunt till noon. So you're done by noon. Maybe we all go grab lunch together and then maybe go play some golf or something like that in the afternoon together and just kind of like make a day of it or whatever. And I was like, man, I can get into that. Like that would be fun. The weather should be nice, you know, those types of things. So I think that that's what the plan's going to be going forward. So <clears throat> with that, I had a really cool weekend. Um, really enjoyed my time back at the farm. You know, there's just something about that one field that I walk through that just, you know, you know, nostalgic, maybe like thinking back to all the hunts that I've had there in the past and stuff like that. So it was just a really cool, really cool kind of trip. I'm not going to get into the details of the, of the hunt itself. Uh, I know Wilson and I, or my buddy Wilson and I are going to be doing a podcast here, kind of talking about turkey hunting. And I'll have Johnny Utah on to talk about his slam uh, that he did. And we'll talk about turkey hunting a little bit on that one. So I'll kind of discuss that at that time. And we'll kind of just kind of keep moving on uh, during this upfront, but I'm going to keep this pretty short um, because I do want to just kind of jump into the meat of things. And I got, uh, got a ton of stuff. I got to try to get off my plate today, uh, for the upcoming work week. So, um, one, just as an update, I did get the trailer and I started kind of getting my materials together for that. And so I'll start kind of making that conversion into the rut wagon, which will be, which, which will be really cool. Um, I think, you know, I probably bit off more than I thought I was biting off once I kind of got it and recognized like the work that's going to go into it. But, Regardless, it's going to be a cool project uh, and looking forward to getting started on on that. One other thing uh, I want to make mention is that uh, here as we are coming up on the uh, on the holiday at the end of the month, the Memorial Day holiday, um, just wanted to make mention that we are running a discount on Skull Brew Coffee website, so skullbrewcoffee.com. If you head over there, there's no promo code required. You can just go on, put something in your cart, and it's an automatic 20% discount, and we're running that through Memorial Day. So take advantage of that if you are in need of some beans or some ground coffee. Also, on a Skull Brew-related note, we've been out of the backcountry roast for some time. It was in Antigua. We had some problems with the supplier uh, even prior to the whole pandemic um, just not being able to be consistent with getting us the beans that we needed. And so we actually moved on and are now, uh, replacing that with a Papua New Guinea. And so the backcountry roast is back, although it is a Papua New Guinea, uh, bean, which is awesome. I think it's, uh, we did a bunch of tasting, uh, a bunch of cuppings to kind of figure out what was going to be a good replacement. And this one fits a very similar profile as the, uh, as the previous backcountry. So we felt like it was a good, a good replacement. Check it out. Let me know what you guys uh, what you guys think, and, and take advantage of that discount for the next uh, for the next two weeks. Um, also, want to ask you guys. I know I made mention the last time. If you haven't yet, head over to YouTube and give the Truth on the Stand channel a subscribe and click the bell notification button. Um, I put some videos up there related to some freestyle hunting, related to planning out of state hunts, and then of course, kind of recapping the Iowa hunt, doing all this stuff on maps, kind of showing you my thought process and how I kind of put those. Um, those hunts together. So if you haven't yet, head over to the YouTube channel and do those couple things. That would be super killer. So with that, we're going to get ready to get jumped into the show here. I have Jared Schaefer uh, on this episode. 
Uh, Jared, you might know him as uh, Flinging Arrows from a couple different places. Uh, he's from West Virginia. He's a mobile hunter. Uh, he actually works for works for Tethered, and he was actually, you know, he was very much a DIY saddle guy before um, you know Tethered was 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 formed, which is. You know, um, you know, all those guys were kind of in that DIY space and Jared was no different. So Jared's been kind of DIY and a lot of saddle stuff for, for years. And he was actually one of the guys that I kind of looked to whenever I was going through, um, you know, first getting introduced to a saddle and trying to figure out my climbing mechanisms and stuff like that. Um, Jared's had a lot of really good videos or has put out a lot of really good videos um, with climbing mechanisms and just things that are related to saddle hunting. And every time I was doing a search as I was trying to learn more and more about it a couple years ago, he always kind of kept popping up. And so I wanted to have him on, not just because he, you know, is, is a saddle hunter, but he also hunts in West Virginia and mountain in, in kind of mountainous terrain where, you know, that mobile hunting and light kind of hunting is kind of a requirement, uh, to a degree to hunt some of the places that he's hunting. And so I wanted to talk to him a little bit about that because I do enjoy the big woods and kind of you know, severe kind of topographic, topographical changes, which is what I kind of get the, you know, am able to get into whenever I head to Southern Ohio. So in this episode, we talk mobile hunting, we talk West Virginia mountains, we talk a little bit of uh, a little bit of turkey hunting, and uh, let's go ahead and get the, uh, the ginger ninja on the line. And thanks, guys. Thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have a fella on that, uh, I'm going to be honest, man, it's like my introduction to saddle hunting was actually through this guy's videos. And I first learned of him as, uh, like, I just thought his name was badass online. It was Flinging Arrows. And I was like, man, if a guy's name is Flinging Arrows and he's hunting out of a saddle, I was like, I got to become friends with this guy. And then I found out he shreds the guitar, too, as a fellow guitar player. I was like... I feel like this guy might be like my long lost distant ginger brother from West by God, Virginia. And it's none other than Jared Schaefer. What's going on, man? Oh, not a whole lot, Clint. I'm doing well. I'm just trying to get through this whole quarantine thing. Doing right. turkey, you know, but I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm hanging in there. You know, the, I've lost count of how many days now I've been in, been in quarantine, man. It's, it, it started for me because I live in the, eastern part of pa so i'm kind of in the hot zone for pennsylvania actually i'm smack dab right. in the middle of where it's bad because i i live in bucks county but bucks county and montgomery county in are the two worst counties outside of like the city outside of philadelphia and the city's yeah. not too far away for me so i'm kind of like right in the middle of it so i i think i started working from home man i want to say it was like march 10th or 15th or something like that so that's like how long i've basically been locked in it's been since Two months, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah man it's i mean you know granted i've been able to get out and do like a little bit of turkey hunting and and stuff like that you know what i mean i'm you know i always say on this show it's like i'm i'm a terrible turkey hunter but i do enjoy getting getting out you know <laughs> i was doing a whole lot of scouting for a while you know on the weekends because i just didn't have anything else to do so i would just go out with the dog and spend yep. hours in the woods so i got some good spots uh you know picked out for this year what i what i think might be good so that was the one kind of kind of silver lining but how's your turkey season been man you be getting after the birds yeah i've been after them it's uh it's been rough least. we've had just a super cold and wet spring this year and it's been really really tough um i did kill a really good bird um kind of the start of the second week here in west virginia and uh I've been out trying to get my second one, and man, it's just been—it's been awful. I can't—I can't find one to save my life. But I've been been chasing after them and and trying it. So it's—it's it's been fun. But I'm I'm ready to go fishing, man. I'm ready to switch gears. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Well, I mean, at least you're 
at least you're seeing birds. So my, my MO is, is like, well, this is how my turkey hunts usually go. A lot of times I'll, I'll go back to our family farm for years, you know, because there's tons of turkeys back there and I, you know, you know where they roost and you know where they're going to fly down and you know, it's, it's one of those deals. And so, you know, I'm not so into turkey hunting that I'm going to drive three hours because I grew up, you know, more in like Western centrally kind of Pennsylvania and right. I'm just not into it enough to drive. And I'm like, I got plenty of public land around here. I was like, I'll just hunt public and unless my daughter wants to go, then I'll, I'll take her back home. But, uh, you know, my turkey hunt usually goes, this is like, it, it was perfect this year. I got into the timber like super early. I found out about this small little piece that my buddy, he's a freak when it comes to turkeys and he roosted a bunch of birds and a bunch of different pieces of public. And he was like, Hey, are you going out Saturday? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I know there's, there's at least one really big gobbler in this one piece. He's like, cause I got him on camera and I got him roosted. He's like, and it's only 18 acres. He's like, so people overlook it. You know, he was like, you know, if you slip in there, he's like, you should be good. He's like, but just get there really early, park your truck because you park right along the road. He's like, and if people see your truck there, he's like, they're not going to walk in because really only one dude can hunt that spot. Right. And so yeah. I was like, all right, cool. So <clears throat> I was like, perfect. I'll go do that. You know? So I drove to the spot, parked. I was there at like, man, I got there like 4 a.m. I was at like the tree that I was planning to, to hunt at or whatever. I'd never been there before. So I just followed this topo line and roughly where he was kind of talking about set up you know, and I'm in a ghillie jacket and I'm kind of waiting and man, it's not even first light yet. It's just like light enough behind me, like on the, on like the top of this kind of ridge, I can see like anything that would be skylit. And I see this guy walking behind me. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you know? So I'm like whistling at him, trying to let him know that I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, so he doesn't like, you know, blow me up. And right. he got so close to me that like, and I was in like a full, it was just that light where it's like, you can start to see movement and Pennsylvania turkey hunting on public <laughs> ground can be a little bit you know, dangerous for your health. Cause you, you may get shot, you know, people will shoot at just <laughs> yeah. movement. And so he was getting a little too close for comfort. And so I just yelled at him. I was like, Hey, <laughs> you know, and he just kind of like, I could see his, like he put his arm up and he recognized that I was there and he's just started walking down the ridge a little bit. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know? And so I'm sitting there wow. and like daylight cracks. And I, I hear three gobblers. And then, I mean, that guy literally only moved like maybe 50 yards in front of me and then daylight cracks, <laughs> three gobblers. And he just takes off like a shot toward the gobblers and i was like well there you go i was like that was my so i basically got in the truck went to another spot and i ended up deer scouting with a gun like the rest of the day <laughs> it was pretty much my, my yeah that's, that's public land turkey hunting for you yeah that's right and then i went out this past uh one day during you know before work i got out and actually went with my buddy wilson to hunt he and i went together and it, it, it never fails if we go separate of one another we'll either see what we're looking for or we'll at least have like some level of success like a visual or we'll hear turkeys if we're turkey hunting or whatever if we go together it doesn't matter what we're hunting we're not going to see anything like <laughs> right yeah. just looking for proof of life like we've done it multiple times where we were like hey it's it's late season let's go try to let's go try to kill a doe and he's got a bunch of small parcels he has access to and he's like hey you know i got a, a double stand over here or a double tree over here we can get into or i've got a blind over here we can get in and one of us will film and one of us will shoot and be like oh okay cool it never fails. Like we never, not once have we seen a deer when we've done that. Not once. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so I'm glad to see that you're at least having a little bit more, uh, a little bit more luck than me, man. So that's good. At least you got one on the ground. Yeah. I'm definitely happy with the one I got. And, uh, you know, I got a buddy of mine that we kind of do the same thing you were talking about. We'll go hunting together and film and stuff. And it, it's the same deal. It's like we'll hunt together and never see anything. And then, you know, hunt separate and we have awesome hunts, but, yeah. yeah, he's been struggling this year to kill birds, so it's 
you know, I know a lot of people that, are, that have had a tough time with it. So I'm, I'm thankful I got my one. So if that's all I get this year, then I'm happy with it. So Right. Yeah, it seems like they're being – well, I mean, we've had the same kind of cold, you know, and wet spring yeah. here as yeah. well, which hasn't which hasn't helped. But it seems like to me they've just – from what I've heard around here, they've just been really quiet lately. Um, it seems yeah. like they were cranked, cranked up and fired up the opening day around here. And then since then, it's you know, from what I've heard from guys that go out most every day, they were just like, man, they couldn't – some mornings they can't buy a gobble. Yep. Yep, so. it's been the same here. So that's definitely – it gets frustrating after several days in a row. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, man, before we get too far gone into this, man, for those out there that are listening that, you know, <clears throat> maybe don't know who you are or haven't seen any, any you in any videos or anything like that, could you just give us a little bit of background about – you know, where you're from, what you do for a living, those types of things? Yeah, so, you know, my name's Jared Schaefer. I'm 33 years old. I live in north-central West Virginia, so I'm about half hour from the PA line, so mm. not terribly far from you. But, uh, yeah, I was uh, an electrical technician uh, for about 13 years, and then this past year I actually started working for uh, for Tethered full-time, doing the, the media directing and, um, you know, the promotional material stuff like that so been doing that the past year and uh yeah i've been hunting west virginia pretty much my whole life ever since i was big enough to walk and uh grew up hunting the big woods and the mountains around here and past couple of years i've kind of branched out and started hunting out of state and doing some different trips and stuff so you know i've just uh yeah just been a deer, deer hunter my whole life and that's you know, one thing i'm passionate about and I always try to have fun with it and uh, try to put some deer on the ground. So that's right, man. That's the name. That's the name of the game. The uh, the the media stuff that you guys are doing, man. It's a uh, first off. You guys got to do a you guys do a great job. I'm always envious. I, I'm a novice. Um, I just started playing around with the, and learning uh, on my own Premiere Pro. You know, and, and kind of getting yeah. into. <laughs> You know, which is is a rabbit hole to kind of to go to go down. My, <laughs> my past life, I was an audio engineer before I, you know, I work in marketing and advertising now. But in my past life, I was, yeah. you know, a musician, and that's what I did. And I was an audio engineer and stuff like that. And uh, so, I mean, I have an understanding of like the software and how to edit and and stuff like that. But right. it's just, you know, I think the thing that always kept me away from it to a degree because I loved like audio engineering, like, and I loved producing, you know, making right. records and stuff like that, and. I was really kind of a nerd. Like I liked the tech side of it and I liked the, the editing side of it, like the precision of it and stuff like that. Um, yep. but for whatever reason, I just always kind of stayed away from like the video stuff. Cause it was just like, you're now dealing with like audio and video that have to marry up. Yeah. It has to tell a story. <laughs> yep. And sometimes you're using audio where there's video that's not related to your audio. Like, you know what I mean? So it was just so much yep. more to manage. And I'll just be the first to admit that I am not organized enough to keep my files organized correctly. So now <laughs> when I'm doing well, YouTube, I'm either, so, <laughs> <laughs> so now when I'm doing YouTube videos, it's like, it takes me forever. Cause I'm literally like pecking and hunting through like my hard drive, like trying to find like, what, okay, I want this clip now. I know it's in this one video and where did I put it? You know, it's like, it's constantly. Yeah. Back. Well, I, I do the same thing. So don't feel bad. Yeah. yeah. I've got just so much footage and, you know, I try to put something together and I'll, got this clip in mind and like i'm it take me half a day to find it but yeah yeah it's uh it's fun it's something i've been doing for a long long time I mean, since i was a little kid i don't know i just always had a fascination with cameras and stuff and hmm. you know I, I got into it before it was the thing to do you know before youtube and facebook so right. i've just been i don't know i just always wanted to do it and never thought that i would actually do it as a career so it's it's pretty cool to 
do that. Right. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, because you guys make some make some killer stuff. Like you, you do a really good job. Like the content's funny. It's well shot. It's well produced. Um, yeah, you know, I appreciate so, it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always, I'm always envi- envious. You know, we'll see how my mind goes. Today, I spent about half a day trying to figure out how to get my audio to reappear because when I exported it, it lost audio. Like I had like ten oh. minutes of audio, and then like a three minute gap where it didn't have any, and then the last like two minutes of the video had audio, and I'm like, I don't know what happened. So it's like I had to reconfigure things and it's just you know kind of a little bit of a nightmare but you know back to hunting dude how did you how did you get started hunting like did you do you come from a hunting family i mean west virginia i'm familiar somewhat with like where you grew up a little bit you know being from bedford pa i'm not too far from uh like berkeley springs and stuff like that so you know i don't i doubt our like hunting cultures are all that terribly different you know um but i'm just curious you know did you come from a big hunting family was that kind of how you got started yeah, I did. I mean, my, you know, my dad a hunter, my granddad was a hunter, great granddad. So, you know, come from a long line of, of hunters and pretty serious hunters as well. You know, I, I always, you know, from the time I was, you know, big enough to walk, I was tagging along with my dad, you know, going squirrel hunting and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he was a big bow hunter when I was pretty little. And, you know, I would always wait for him to come home from his hunts and, listen to what he saw and stuff like that. So I was just ate up with it at a young age. And, uh, you know, I got my first kind of serious bow when I was about 70 years old and he just kind of turned me loose. And I mean, I chased deer all over the place with that thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't hit any of them. I shot a bunch of them. But, <laughs> right. Um, you know, he, he started taking me out and started getting, you know, 11, 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I killed my first deer with a rifle when I was 12 and, you know, we we started bow hunting and, you know, using climbing stands and kind of moving around. And, you know, he kind of taught me kind of the, the start of mobile hunting and how to figure out how deer travel and stuff like that. So, you know, that's always just kind of been how I did things and kind of how I got my start. So it was, it was definitely cool growing up, you know, being able to do that stuff. Right. That's interesting, man, because it sounds like your dad, you know, was uh... – he was mobile before mobile was cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if he was teaching you that, you know, at that young of an age, I'm curious, you know, like you're saying that he's a big, you know, he was always kind of big into bow hunting. Were there, I mean, were there any guys that he kind of learned from or took or took stuff from? Cause I'm trying to think you and I aren't too, well, we're a little, we have a little bit of a gap in age. So I'm thinking your, your dad's probably just a little younger than my dad. And so I'm imagining like that probably would have been about the time, you know, Andre was really kind of doing like the bump and dump and like really kind of getting mobile and, and, yeah. and Dan, you know, obviously doing, doing what he does. So we're, I mean, were those guys, internet age wasn't a thing, right? So, I mean, you could have lived two States over and people had right. no clue who you are, but was he doing any following of that kind of methodology? As far as I know, he wasn't, um, you know, he, he wasn't real big into that kind of stuff. I think yeah. it was more or less just kind of figure it out on your own and, right. you know, going off of what he did learned and uh you know my dad didn't kill a lot of deer with a bow i mean a, a few when i was younger a couple nice bucks and then as i kind of started getting into it he he just kind of quit bow hunting you know kept rifle hunting and stuff mm-hmm. but you know he really he wasn't huge in the tactics part of it mm-hmm. and uh, you know when he kind of turned me loose you know i kind of had to start figuring things out for my you right. know for myself and, you know it took me years and years and years to to figure it out and actually finally killed the deer with the bow but um yeah i just uh you know he kind of got me started in it and i was just kind of sentenced from there and i had to 
kind of take it and uh, kind of run with it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, man. Cause it sounds like, you know, <clears throat> we have similar backgrounds as far as like our, our, you know, dads go, you know, so my dad bow hunted growing up as well. Um, not a lot, you know, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, like he would take the, you know, he was a big, you know, traditional bow, you know, that's what, that's what he used. Never. I don't ever remember there being a compound bow in the house. Um, and he would go out like a couple times a year with it. Usually it would be on like, you know, it wasn't like he was all geeked up and like the opening of archery season came and he was ready to roll. Like usually he and I would right. go out and do a lot of small game hunting and stuff like that. And cause I never picked up a bow and started hunting with the bow until I was probably 30. It was like whenever I finally picked one up. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, it was just because, you know, he, it wasn't a big thing for him and he would basically go do it. I, and I, I, I remembered back on it, like after I got older and I started bow hunting where it always was windy days because my we never and I always tell people this too. It's like I never hunted out of an elevated platform of any type until I was in my thirties. Like it was always ground hunting, like you know, all my life. And uh, and so my dad was big on like moving and using the wind and trying to basically stalk, you know, stalk bedded bedded deer. And that was kind of uh, how he cool. liked to to hunt with a bow, and but big rifle hunting, you know. And, but it wasn't again like he wasn't like a tactician necessarily. It was more. You know, he was teaching me more hunting ethics and, you know, respect for the land and the animals and stuff like that. That was more, I think, probably what I got from him more so than anything. Um, Because now he's like, I'll tell him about a trip of hunting and he'll say, boy, if I had to think about all that shit to kill a deer, he's like, I don't think I'd ever get out of my truck. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. My dad's kind of the same way. You know, I'm doing all these extreme measures now to kill a deer and he just looks at me like I'm nuts. Yeah. No, I think he likes watching me do it more than you know oh, him yeah. ever doing that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's that funny. That's 100% because I was <laughs> I was walking him through like the hunt I had in Iowa and how it, like I was playing the wind and I recognized what the thermal was doing and this, that, the other. And he was like, Jesus, he was like, how, how do you get out of bed in the morning like to go do that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, it, and that's what I realized, you know, and it, look, he was like, hey, he's like, man, he's like, if you like it and that's what you like, he's like, then, then I love it. You know what I mean? He's like, I just could never, yeah. I could never do that, you know? Um, yeah. but yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny. So now I think he lives a little vicariously through me in, in regards to that. And then he'll ask me, he has a property back home <clears> that he'll go back and come up from, uh, I guess, uh, the Carolinas. He'll come up, hunt a couple of days during bow season and stuff like that. Cause I finally got him to get a bow and, and do a little bit of archery hunting and stuff. And so he'll usually call me and be like, before he comes up and say, Hey, what's the, what's the weather look like this weekend? You know, what's, what's the wind going to do? What's, you know, what locations you think are good? You know, it's like <laughs> asking me like where, I, where I should set up, you know? And so I'll tell him like, well, this day I would hunt here, this day I would hunt here and this day I would hunt here. You know? And so I set him up with his hunts and, yep. and that's, I guess he figures now that I know, you know, now that I know enough of it, he doesn't need to know any of it. So he's good. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's funny. Cause my dad does the same exact thing. He, we have leased together in Ohio and, uh-huh. uh, you know, he, he does the same thing. You know, ask me, you know, but you know what the deer is doing and the wind and everything. You just tell me where to go and that's where I'm going. So, right. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My dad's probably more interested in bear hunting than he is deer hunting at this point. Oh, yeah. 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 He just, he loves the bear hunt. He's just, he wants to kill a Pennsylvania bear in the worst, in the oh, worst cool. way. That's his kind of, that's his thing. And, um, he's had a couple opp- couple opportunities. You know, the funny story was is he took yeah. me bear hunting when I was like 17. It was the first time I ever went out. And he was telling me before we got out of the truck, he was like, hey, you know, there's a guy, you know, bear hunting in Pennsylvania is not like a TV thing. You know, he's like, look, you know, guys might hunt all their life in Pennsylvania and maybe not even see an adult bear in right. the woods, you know, and uh, in, in the area that we lived. And uh, I was like, all right. He's like, you know, so it's not like deer hunting. He's like, you might not see anything. 
And I was like, all right, that's, that's fine. You know, let's go. We get out of the truck and we we're walking through this like mountain laurel on this game lands. And, uh, I mean, we weren't in the woods 30 minutes and I shot a bear. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he was just like, I can't believe it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of, which is kind of funny, but, uh, he gave me that whole lecture. Still after <laughs> What's yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the funny thing was, is like, well, it wasn't funny. It's kind of crappy into the story, but like I hit that bear and then it started raining like immediately after. And we tracked it, tracked it, tracked it like all day. I mean, I shot it at first, first light. I mean, God, I don't know what, like maybe seven thirty. You know what I mean? Like you could see through the scope, like it was legal shooting light and we tracked till dark up and down multiple ridges. And I don't even know how far we went and we could, we had lost blood, but we could see like where it had was running and was breaking off trees that it was running through and stuff. And, uh, we got to this last ridge and it's pouring rain and it's just about ready to get dark. And he's like, you know, do you want to go up one more ridge? And I was like, uh, I was like maybe 16, 17. And I was like, look, I was like, if he's made it this far, I was like, I must've not hit him where I thought I hit him. You know, I was like, and so he was like, you know, and he was, he's like, you know, I agree with you. He's like, I don't, I don't think you hit him as good as you thought you did. And so <clears throat> we backed out. And then two days later he goes into work and a guy said, Hey, my dad's name's Fred. He's like, Hey Fred, you and your boy, were you hunting bears this weekend? He's like, yeah, did you guys get anything? He's like, Oh, he's like, my son hit one. He's like, and he told him where we were at. And he was like, he just never found him. He was like, you know, we went over and the guy was from the same, cause this was right where my dad grew up. Like it's literally in the same like little village town that my dad grew up yeah. it's in this area called the cove. And, uh, and so this guy grew up with my dad and knew exactly where he was talking about. And he was like, well, I found this bear up on this ridge the next day dead. And that was literally the ridge that we didn't walk up. Oh, so, man. so he found him when the guy offered him, he's like, Hey, you know, if your boy wants him, he was like, you know, uh, I'll give him to him. Just tell him, you know, come over, bring a tag and tag him and you can have him. And then, you know, we'll call the game commission or whatever and see if he can get his tag back or whatever. And, uh, and my dad came home and told me, and I said, if I didn't find him, I didn't end the hunt. And I was like, it's not my bear. Yeah. It's like, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, so that was, that was that. So even though it, it, it did, you know, I, I was able to, sh I was able to shoot one, uh, someone else recovered it. And, uh, and so I, I don't have it. So that I'm still on the hunt for the, right. for the bear. So, but yeah. yeah, so we'll see. That was well, a, that was a valuable lesson. Yeah, What's that? Yeah, no doubt for sure. Yep. Yeah. So man, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, first, you know, knowing that your dad hunts mobile and that was kind of like, you started kind of hunting mobile. Like, as you started kind of progressing as a deer hunter, you know, when you started thinking more probably about like how mobile was playing into how you're approaching things, like how did it start to change like any of your strategies or your tactics over the years as you kind of became more and more mobile? Yeah. So we, I mean, we always hunt with, you know, climbing stands, you know, my daddy would pre-settle stand for me, you know, back behind the house and I'd never sit in that thing. Like I just couldn't sit still, you know, right. so I was pick pretty much for random spots really and uh you know if i'd see deer doing a certain thing off the distance i'd just pick up and move and you know i killed a lot of deer that way and you know just over the years i started picking up on on patterns and how they travel you know with different train and stuff like that and uh you know i really think that that played into you know my success you know as i started you know you know being a more successful bow hunter i guess and uh you know, I would just go where the deer were at, and it was really pretty simple. I didn't think about it too much. Just, you know, if there wasn't any deer there, I would move. You know, I'd move until I found them. And then, you know, once I saw them doing a certain thing, I would, you know, move in on them. 
And then, you know, over time, you know, you kind of start picking up on little things and how they travel and certain areas they like to, to use and, you know, start to, you can start to translate that to other areas. And I, I really think that learning to hunt that way, I, you know, I, it took me a long time to learn, but, you know, now I can go into a new area and pick it apart pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of thankful that I, that I learned that way. Just, you know, it's not something you can read about or, you know, have somebody just tell you, you know, you kind of have to just get out and do it yourself and kind of just figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent agree, man. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, you know, like what you were kind of executing like very early was that the thing that, you know, is very in vogue in vogue now. Right. Which is a lot of people, I feel like when they see deer move, it's they they almost get paralyzed and don't want to move because they don't want to mess it up. And it's actually the exact opposite thing that you should be doing. Right. Cause those deer are telling you, like they're giving you a piece of information, right. They're telling you that you're not in the game. You know what I mean? And like you can stay where you're at and continue to be out of the game and sure you won't spook anything. You certain, and you also probably won't kill anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, you know, or you can kind of, you know, get down and, and make a move and, you know, I don't think either of us, you know, or any, any other folks that you and I know that hunt this way would advocate like just blowing through and blowing deer out. It's like, but sometimes that's the consequence to try to get yourself into position. You know what I mean? And that's, and it's a risk reward thing, right? It's like, I guess, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, it's like, cause as a young guy being impatient, cause I'm right there with you, I'm still kind of that way, you know what I mean? (laughs) Where, you know, how did you kind of, how did you start to learn? Cause like you were saying, there's a learning curve there, right? And you didn't really have anyone that was showing you how to do this. You were just kind of doing it on your own. You started picking little things up and stuff like that. Like how did you start kind of figuring out like when to be aggressive, when to not be aggressive? Like when you see some deer move, when you should make a move and when you're watching deer move and you're going, mm, I don't think making a move right now is quite, quite the right thing to do. And so talk to me a little bit about how you were kind of making those decisions. Yeah, so, you know, when I, when I was really young, you know, 10, 11 years old, you know, I was hunting on the ground a lot, doing a lot of stocks and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid to every deer out of the property. It's just, you know, you just didn't, didn't even think about it back then. You mm-hmm. didn't think about the pressure and this kind of thing. So, you know, I would do these stocks and stuff, and, man, I got a lot of shots doing, doing that. And then, you know, as I progressed to using a tree stand and stuff like that, you know, I, I carried that same mentality was like, you know, the deer's over there. I'm going over there after it out of there. You know, who cares? There'll be more of them. So, you know, I always, I've never been afraid to, to bust a deer out of an area. And, um, you know, sure. Back in the early days, you know, I probably hurt myself a lot more than, you know, I needed to, but I also killed a lot of deer that way. And I've actually got two bucks on my wall that I'm looking at right now that's a really good example of that that I kind of killed back in my early years. You know, I just, you know, hunting these spots that were historically good, you know, I, I observed these bucks going in and out of bedding, basically, is what I, what I saw them doing. Mm-hmm. And I would move right in on them. I mean, the, the very next hunt, you know, even the same day, I would just move in on them right, right where I thought I needed to be without hardly any regard to the wind or anything like that. This is before I really took that into account. And, you know, I was having some pretty good success. I killed a couple of nice bucks doing that. And, you know, as the years go on, I start learning about the wind and the thermals and, 
you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, I'm making these moves with a lot more thought behind them. So, you know, you know, my tactics, I guess you could say, just got more refined, you know, I'm paying more attention to that type of stuff. And, you know, I've just seen a lot of success doing it that way. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things like you just, just do it so much that, you know, your gut just kind of tells you when it's time to go. You know, I, you know, if you, you got to strike with iron pot. I mean, if there's a buck in the area and you know, he's there, I mean, he's not going to be there forever. Somebody else is going to kill him or bump him out of there or something. So, I mean, you can't just sit back out of the game. I mean, right. I, I'm a firm believer in just, you know, try to move in, do it smart, you know, try to time it right, you know, with cold front, wind, stuff like that. And, um, you know, try to make it happen. You know, if you sit back too long, you know, something else might happen and you might not get a shot at him. So, you know, it's like you said, high risk, high reward. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one thing that, you know, no matter how old somebody is or <clears throat> how long they've been bow hunting or, or whatever, I think when you finally get to a point, at least I'd be curious to see if you feel the same way, but, you know, my, from my observation and just like personal experience is that, you know, success is ultimately built on a mountain of failure, you know, and that was, yeah. that was one thing that, you know, I talked to, you know, I had, uh, Dan on, you know, and he and I were talking about that, you know, one day just about people's fear of failure and like what they don't realize is like that, that failure is ultimately what's going to get you to a point where you're going to start seeing consistent success. Cause there's no other way yeah. to do it in the deer woods. Like yeah. there just isn't like you can read as many books as you want. You can watch as many YouTube videos as you want. You can, you know, and there's some guys out there that put on deer clinics, like the one, the workshop that Dan does or Eberhard or whoever, right. That you go and you can learn so much from these guys, right. You can be like me and start a podcast. So you can learn more. You know what I mean? Like that was one of the reasons why I started this whole thing was so I could pick the brains of like really good deer hunters. And, right. but until you go out and you start actually putting those things into practice and screwing it up time and time again, like until you do those things, like the success just doesn't come, you know what I mean? I mean, it sounds yeah. kind of like what you were doing. It sounds like you, you, you know, early on was seeing things and trying to figure it out. And as you were trying to figure it out, you were blowing, blowing hunts. But <clears throat> when you would blow a hunt, you'd be like, oh, so that's why that happened. Right. Yeah. Now, now it's in your bag. Of yeah, tricks. exactly. Yeah. I mean, you just have to look at each hunt and just kind of evaluate what went, what went wrong, what went right. And, you know, if, you know, if I screw up a hunt now, I just look at it as, you know, just one step closer to to success, you know, I've, I guess I've just done it enough to know that, you know, if you just stay persistent at it and keep trying to make the right decisions and learn from what you've done, that you're eventually going to, it's eventually going to pay off for you. So yeah. you just got to, you just got to do it. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard work, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not, yeah, really. you know, it's, it's, you got to just put your time. There's no other, there's not a magic bullet for it. It's, it, it's time and persistence. And, and if you do, if you have enough of those two things, you'll eventually start finding success pretty, you know, pretty frequently. Um, yeah. I, I think too, there's like just defining success differently. I think, you know, I think when you hunt really mobile and you, and you are aggressive, it's like for me, a successful hunt is if I was in the game, it wasn't necessarily yeah. wrapping a tag around something. It's like, man, if I'm consistently putting myself in the game and having encounters, I mean, especially in somewhere like PA with as much pressure as we have, it's like, if I have like two really good, like mature buck encounters during bow season in Pennsylvania, like I, I'm winning. You know, 
Yeah. Especially yeah, on, sure. on, on public, you know what I mean? So I think people have to think about framing success differently too. So they don't, you know, get, uh, beat themselves up too much. So. Yeah. And I mean, my, my season last year was, it is a prime example of that. I mean, I had, you know, I just started working full time for tethered. So I had a lot of time to hunt and, uh, you know, right off the bat, you know, I killed a, a buck on public land in Kentucky. I mean, like my second or third set, I can't remember just real quick, you know, killed a buck, come back to West Virginia and, uh, got on another buck, probably should have killed him that morning. Didn't work it out. Um, went to Ohio, hunted for, I don't know how many days, ended up missing a, a dandy 10 pointer, probably close to 150. Wow. And, uh, you know, so I got my opportunity there and, and blew it. And then I went to Missouri and on public land and had an opportunity at a great buck, probably close to 140. And it was just too dark to see my pens. So, you know, then the gate there and then, uh, come back and, you know, I think I hunted, on, I hunted over 300 hours this past year, just nice. grinding away at it. And I finally could kill a second buck in Ohio in, uh, in January, but it was just, you know, like you said, you know, I was in the game a lot and, you know, that kept me going and kept me motivated. But yeah. I mean, even with a lot of time to hunt, you know, I still have all those opportunities and not get one. So, right. you know, you look at the normal guy that wants just weekends and stuff like that. And it's easy to see how, how some people can go, you know, a couple of seasons without getting one. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it's, yeah, especially you know, depending on what your what, what what state you're in and stuff like that. Because I mean, that, that's a prime example. You know, it's like having you know plenty of time to and like you said, you were in the game, which to me that's success. You know what I mean? Like you were having great encounters, seeing deer. I mean, that's just. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. And the other thing is too is I think people get so caught up in the moment of what's going on that they don't learn, like they don't observe, yeah. like they see but don't observe. You know what I mean? And I think that yeah. that's probably like one of the biggest changes for me is that, you know, maybe I see a buck that's just slightly out of range, right? Maybe he comes through and does what I think he's going to do, but instead of being 20 yards, you know, away from me, maybe he's 50, you know what I mean? But then, I mean, that's an opportunity to watch that deer and see what he's going to do and how he reacts. And is he with another deer and how does he react to another deer? And when he finally gets into a position where he hits my scent cone, like how does he react to that? You know what I mean? Is he, does he respond to, you know, to calling or not, or, you know, does he, does he look like he's posturing to be dominant or, you know, just all those little things you start to pick up on, like just watching deer behavior. So when you see one at close range, you can start to tell what they're going to do before they do it, you know? Yeah. yeah, Um, so just kind of being a student of things, but since you touched on it, man, I want to jump to it and we'll talk more about mobile hunting here in a second, man. But I do want to talk about your out of state, you know, out of state hunt. Cause I know you went down, like you mentioned to Kentucky, that was on public, right? Yeah, that for, was public early yeah. September, yeah. Yeah, for a, for a velvet buck. So talk to me a little bit about that area that you were hunting, the habitat, uh, and, and the overall kind of like lay of the land in that spot. Yeah, so this was like farm country, a lot of corn and beans and, you know, hardwoods and stuff like that. And that's that's completely new to me. Like, we don't have anything like that around here. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I tried to cyber scout as much as I could and, my tactic was, you know, it was going to be early season. It was going to be hot. So I'm looking for like isolated water sources that are kind of adjacent to these crop fields. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I drove down there by myself and, uh, met up with Parker McDonald with the Southern Ground podcast. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, I, what I figured out pretty quick was that, you know, those crop fields were getting pounded by other people. I mean, there was so much pressure. And, you know, I just kind of started looking for places that, that people weren't going. Um, you know, the first day I did a lot of scouting, trying to find an area to hunt. And I thought I found a spot that was pretty good. And I sat there that evening, didn't see anything. And then the next day I made a, did a really long hike. Like I think it was like four and a half miles or something like that. Looking for sign. It was, the heat effect was over a hundred degrees. I saw, I, I I saw that part of the video. I, <laughs> I saw that part of the video where yeah, I think he said, I think I'm having a heat stroke or something like that. I, I really did. Like I, I had pulled up my phone and was going to text Parker that like, if you don't hear from me in an hour, I'm not out here. Cause I, I literally thought I was going to pass out. It was so hot. <laughs> but, um, the funny thing about that hunt, and this comes down to what you were just talking about with being observant. So I was driving down a gravel road before daylight um, that morning, and I saw come out of the parking lot that was just right right off the main road. There was a parking lot right there, gravel lot. So this comes walking out of a bean field right by this parking lot. And it's you know it's right before daylight. It's not too far away, and he just hopped across the road into this thick brush, and I thought huh, that was kind of interesting you know he's probably not too far from where he's bedded at if he's you know if it's this close to daylight right so i started looking at the map and it, it just it you know like light bulb moment so it's like this little triangle of woods between all these crop fields and i zoom in on the aerial map and there's a little water hole right in the middle of it hmm. i'm like oh man he's got to be bedded in there so midday that day i I get down on another area right down the road and I snuck into that water hole to see what kind of sign was around there. And there was definite buck tracks around that, um, on that little pond and, uh, some old rubs and stuff like that. So I, you know, backed out of there, um, went back that evening, kind of had an idea of where he might've been bedded at. And, um, he, he actually, I don't know exactly where he was at. I mean, he was in that, little group of woods but he came in behind me it was uh you know just a nice seven pointer you know full velvet and um i've never killed a velvet buck, so that was just my goal was to kill a nice awesome. velvet buck and uh i ended up getting him and it was it was a really cool hunt but uh i literally killed him 60 yards from my truck where my truck was parked <laughs> you can't beat that there especially in 100 yeah. degree heat man <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you had to get a break somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, hey, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna out. kill you with a with a heat stroke, but you know, if you kill a deer, we'll make it make sure it's only about half a football field away from your truck. How's that for a deal? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it worked out. But I just thought it was funny that he was the best guy killed him back close on the road. But yeah. I mean, just you know, you got to kill them where they're at, and a lot of times, you know, they're they're laying in spots like that where they can. You know, they're watching all the pressure coming in and out. Mm. Where he was at, he could watch the parking lot. So I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's classic kind of like overlooked little spot. You know what I mean? Where yeah. people are going to walk right by it because they're not going to pay it any mind because they're like, ah, it's too close to the too close to the road or too close to the parking lot yeah. or whatever. My one buddy, <clears throat> he and I will go hunt together in Ohio. And, um, you know, we, we both like to grind and hunt hard and, and stuff like that. And there was this one spot that had like these just – hammer scrapes and these magnum bucks were showing up on them during usually like during the first week in november and they were showing up pretty consistently and then this this particular year they had a pretty bad ehd problem in this particular area of ohio 
and uh, it, it dried up. So those those deer ended up disappearing. I, I think a lot of them ended up dying, but we didn't know that at the time, you know, so we knew we had deer on, you know, past two years on camera in that spot during like a four day window or whatever. But he would never hunt it because it was like, I was like, why don't you ever hunt that? And he's like, man, it's right along the road. Like it's not, and when I say it's a road, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a, an access road through the mountains that, you know, you will see a dump truck on once in a while, but it's really like for logging and that's really it. You know what I mean? Like for yep. them to log this, this piece out. And, uh, he's like, it's just too close to the road, man. He's like, I just, he's like, I just don't feel right. And I was like, Hey man, I ain't got too much pride to go sit there. And I was like, it's like an easy hike off the road. <laughs> and I was like, cause I mean, everywhere yep. else in that place was just like a, just a brutal it's it's near um near west virginia so it's it's that very similar terrain so you're familiar yep. with that so it's just everything's up and down in a deep ravine and just like nasty yep. <laughs> just briary mess and blow down everywhere and just you know basically a shithole which makes it great for deer hunting <laughs> and, and yep. uh you know and i was like man i ain't too proud to hunt you know 70 yards off the road you know what i mean so i ended up hunting that spot a couple times and you know ended up seeing one buck um it was a really cool spot but it was one just again one of those little kind of overlooked overlooked places and when you yeah. look at the map and you look at the topo it all makes sense because it's literally the easiest path of between two different ridge systems that they're going to want to 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 run basically to check all their scrapes because you can walk yeah. down that ridge to the bottom of it like where it kind of where there's a saddle and there's just like a big community scrape that's down there. And then that whole ridge is littered with them. Yeah. I've got a spot exactly like you're talking about that. That's on my place in Ohio. And, um, you're literally 55, 60 yards from the road, yeah. like a pretty well used, you know, it's a gravel road, but I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of houses up on that ridge top, but mm -hmm. I actually killed a nice buck right there in that spot. And, um, that's it the same spot was where I missed that big one last year. Hmm. So it's just like a perfect travel corridor and there's a strip of bonds along the road and they skirt this bonds and nobody would even think to sit right there because I can literally watch people drive up and down the road and I'm sure if they slow down, they see me in the tree. But right. I, I've, I've really started looking for spots like that the past couple of years just because, I mean, there's deer use those areas and you can find them. I mean, it's, a killer spot yeah no i 100% agree with you that's kind of been my kind of been my thing too is like looking trying to look i i no longer necessarily look first to go f further than everybody else because i love onyx because it's it's such a useful tool but it's also one of those things that it made everyone else like, gave everyone else access to those like hard to reach deep, yeah. deeper places right because they just yep. some people wouldn't go any further than a half mile because they're just not confident walking into the woods any further than a half mile you know what I mean? Cause it's, you know, they, right. they can yep. get back out of the woods if they only go a half mile, you know, the guy who's willing to go a mile, two miles or whatever, you know, it's like, you're a little further from the truck. You're a little further from, you know, people or whatever. And so, you know, that person usually has to have a little bit more of their wits about them, about what they're doing and stuff like that. And until on X came along and then now everyone has GPS tracking. So it's like, well, I, can, <laughs> I can at least find my way to a road. You know what I mean? At some point, yeah. you know what I mean? To get picked up if I get lost and turned around or whatever. Um, you know, so for me, it's like, I've kind of done what you were talking about where it's like, I'll look at those deep end spots, but I'm usually at first looking for like the places where people are going to walk by, you know what I mean? Like, where's the little kind of nook and cranny where they're going to go like, man, there ain't no deer living in there, you know? And that's the spot yep. that I'm going to want to go check out. Um, and then my other thing this year, man, is like, and I know you do this. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it, but I got a kayak this year. And so I've been looking yep. for places that just like, that there is only a way, like you could only get in using water. 
and just kind of starting yeah. to prioritize water. Cause I know in the South, especially like, you know, when you get into some of those swampier States where it's like water access is really, really one of the ways to deer hunt the best. Right. Cause it just opens up yeah, a lot more sure. land to you up around here. It's not as, not as prevalent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so when you it's find, find the spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's just not as many guys that are going to do that. Cause it's, you know, you can usually walk just about anywhere you want to go. Um, so I started looking for like little pockets of water access and stuff like that just because, and I found a, a handful this year that are just like, if the sign holds up that I saw whenever I was scouting this year, if it holds up, then I should, I, I told my father-in-law, I was like, first weekend or first like opening day, if I get the right wind, it's like, I'm going to pull a big deer out of this one spot. I was like, I don't know how big it'll be. I was like, but he'll be decent. You know? And he was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to call my shot right now. So we'll see what happens. But yeah. do, you, do you kind of do the same thing, man, with water access? Are you using water access a fair amount? I've got a couple spots now that I've scouted out. And, you know, like you said, it's hard to find areas around here where it's conducive to that kind of hunting just okay. because, you know, you don't really have long like stream systems that you can use a kayak on. Right. But, um, you know, there are some lakes down here that there's a lot of public land and I've, I've been trying the last couple of years. Like that's been one of my goals to kill a buck using a kayak. Mm-hmm. And, um, I come so close last year. I, uh, actually found a food plot that the state had put in, hmm. you know, there's you know, roads all over this place so they, they can have access to it. But right. there's actually like a, like a two acre turnip plot, like way up on this ridge. And the only way to get to it is by boat. Unless you want to walk about four miles, so right. Actually, I found it about a week too late because they had pretty much browsed it down. You know, they had already eaten most of it. But um, I actually kind of went in there doing like a little bit of a scouting mission this past year, and I found that plot, and it was just torn up with sun. And I had all my gear with me, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna set up and sit the rest of the afternoon. And I set up, and the deer started filtering out. And they're walking past me just perfect, you know, 20 mm-hmm. yards. And uh, finally, I had a pretty decent buck come out. And I needed it to take like five steps, and I was going to have a 15-yard shot. And a, a bear ended up coming up into the field and just blew the whole field out. So I didn't get a shot. And, and uh, I went back like maybe four or five days later, and the same exact thing happened. He was coming out the same year, and uh, something blew him out. And I didn't end up getting a shot at him, but... I come close. I just, I'm still trying. So maybe this year will be the, be the year I can kill one that way. Nice. Yeah. That's, I, I, I want to give one a, 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 a kayak ride in the worst way. So I got a couple spots here in PA yeah. and then I'm going to Missouri this year. Um, and so a couple of the places I was looking at in Missouri have some rivers, streams, stuff like that. And I kind of looked at those specifically because I wanted to have some places where I'd have to use a boat, uh, to get in and yeah. out to try to, you know, limit, you know, any, any pressure. I mean, people talk about pressure, you know, out in the, in the Midwest, you know, and I'm like, man, like, <laughs> like you can put me on the, <laughs> the heaviest, the, the heaviest hunted piece of public out in, you know, the Midwest somewhere. And it will be like hunting a piece of private back here in a lot of case, in a lot of ways, you know, um, just you know, the, yeah. amount, the amount of guys that I'm kind of used to around, around here, but I want to shift gears, man, and talk, I want to talk a little bit about West Virginia because it's one of those states that I haven't been to yet um, that is on my on my list of places to get to just because it, it's close by and I know there's good deer there and, and I do like that the the type of terrain, you know, at least I think that I do, you know, I can't say too much because I, I, <laughs> I haven't hunted it. Um, I've hunted some stuff that, that's similar, but, 
you know, until uh, until I uh, until I actually step foot on the on the soil and, and put my time in there. I don't want to speak too much about it, but uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind, man, just I guess describe to me a little bit about the area that you're hunting in West Virginia. You know, and and, and give me a little bit of like the topo and the habitat and like. You know, you mentioned like there's a food plot, like an, an area or when you went, I forget when you went to Kentucky and there was, there was food. It was just like, you don't have that around where you're, you know, where you're hunting and stuff like that. And so talk to me a little bit, like what you're using as structure to help define, you know, deer movement. Yeah. So where I'm at in Northern West Virginia, um, it's not quite as steep and gnarly as some parts of the state, you know, the southeastern part of the state or the very southern portion. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you still get in my area a typical elevation change from say the, the creek bottom to the top is maybe 300 feet in elevation gain. Mm-hmm. But that's you know in just a few hundred yards. So, I mean it's still still pretty steep. So our root systems here are pretty long. Um, the main place that I hunt, there's three main ridges that kind of run, uh, say southwest to northeast and they're about a mile and a half long. So mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot of, you know, you kind of have these big long ridges with kind of flat tops and you know, there's benches on the sides of the ridges. So, right. um, you know, it's just a lot of big woods, um, you know, laurel thickets and creek bottoms, uh, big hardwoods. Um, some of the stuff that I hunt has been timbered out. So really, really thick areas, you know, mm-hmm. green briars, blackberries, stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just, it depends, you know, mainly what I look for when I'm trying to find spots to hunt, you know, the, the benches that run the sides of these ridges, um, like the leeward side of the ridge, I'm looking for those benches that are top third elevation line and with some kind of cover, you know, the one spot that I've got that's really good that always produces, there's a small patch of laurel, like mountain laurel, that's up high on the ridge, which is kind of rare. Usually they kind of, it kind of sticks to the creek bottoms here, but there's a patch of mountain laurel that sits right on that third elevation line down from the top. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the deer always use that for bedding. So, you know, I look for stuff like that, um, connecting features between ridges. You know, you had a big ridge system that, you know, connect another system with, you know, a saddle or, you know, something like that. I'll look for that. All right, folks, we're back. Sorry about that little technical interruption. I've been having a string, a string of these technical interruptions. I feel like I might be on like the watch list for like the NSA or some, some other government body with an acronym or something like that. Like I'm doing some shady dealings. I'm actually selling like black market masks over here for people, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's a, I shouldn't joke about that. Cause I probably will get arrested or something, but anyway, since, yeah. <laughs> since things are getting crazy. Uh, but anyway, what we were talking about, Jared, you were just kind of mentioned, we were talking about the structure in the area that you live in. And I think the last thing you were kind of mentioning yeah. was, you know, you're really kind of focusing, you know, on that top third and, and like the bench systems that run those top thirds and looking for those bench systems, you know, in that top third that have some type of like side cover or cover associated. I think that's where we were at. So I'll, I'll let you pick it up from there. Yeah. So like I was saying, um, you know, I'm looking for, you know, like I said, those benches on the leeward sides of these ridges and I'm looking for some kind of cover, either on laurel or, or they've done some type of logging, you know, either clear cut or select cut. And if I can find things that connects, Two of those spots like that, which I've got a couple spots like that. I mean, it's 
you know, it's pretty dynamite. You know, there's going to be dope betting around there and even buck betting. So, you know, that's kind of what I look for. And, um, you know, you can kind of find spots like that on the aerial maps. If you can find a, a, a view of it when it's taken in the winter time, you can really see those mountain world patches mm. and, um, I really key in on those. And those are, those are always really, really good. It's interesting that you're kind of talking about those bench systems that are running together because that's one of the things in the the one big woods piece that I've hunted that I've learned one from my buddy who's hunted it frequently and two just from like, you know, the first year I hunted it, I had like a one day worth of scouting and then I hadn't been back since. Um, I had some other places I was hunting and then I'm going back this year and I, I was scouting it this winter and with one year of kind of like hunting it under my belt and going back and have some time to look at the map more and talking to my buddy, it's like you quickly realize that like, man, it's, it's those ridge systems and finding places where those ridges and benches all kind of dump into one another. Like when you find that, that's kind of where all the, all the action is because in those big wood settings, man, like, you know, it's like it finding deer in those places with limited structure is hard. And yeah. If you aren't in the right place, man, it can be a long, lonely season because you may not see deer for days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, know, like to where it's like we were talking earlier about being in the game. Like, you don't even know what sport you're playing some days. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly right. You know, and so it's and that's the one thing that I really appreciate about that type of setup is that like you got to know your stuff, and then <clears throat> once you start to figure it out, like those things really pop out to you on the map. It's like, it's almost like they start to glow. It's like, bing, 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 right here. This is one, right here's one. Um, just because when our eyes started seeing, yeah. like, where I started picking up, like, all the sign and recognizing where the signs started getting heavier and stuff like that, it was always in those places, you know? And, like, yeah. you would walk along. And the other crazy thing was, too, is that, like, there wouldn't be a ton of sign along the way. It's not like you would find, like, a rub line that you could just, like, follow out and be like, boom, rub line led me right to his bed or right to, like, his yeah. primary scrape area or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's like you'd be walking along and you'd see, like, I'll give you an example. There was one place we had a deer that was probably, he's Boone and Crockett, right? There were two that were on that same, on the same camera. You're walking right. along, you would have no clue by the sign that was in there that there were two Boone and Crockett caliber deer that are living in there. And you're just walking along, you see, like, a small rub, a small rub, a small rub, and then, all of a sudden, like boom, and I'm not, I'm not even joking. There's a scrape the size of a car hood, like, yeah, you know what I mean. And the one buck we have on camera is like bedded in it, like laying in it. You know what I mean? And it's just, yeah, it's just I'm, crazy because there was nothing along the way that would tell you that. And just like all of a sudden, bam, and it was right. He, he, actually, it was a pretty big bench, and it's actually one that you can't even really see on the map. And it just like it just yeah. kind of pops out of nowhere, and that's like. That's where all the action is. And it's and it's consistent action too. It's not rut specific or anything like that. It's not cruising. It's like they live there. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I see too here is that, you know, you could have several bucks in one area and there's just not the sign that you would suspect, you know, with that many deer. Like you would think that there'd be just rubs and scrapes everywhere, but there's not. Hmm. And, you know, you can't really scout, at least not in this area where I'm at can't base you know your hunts off of that you know heavy sign because it's just not there Mm -hmm. which is weird to me but you know i guess i've just kind of gotten used to it over the years and um you know i'm looking for sometimes one or two small little rubs that are just on the edge of bedding that tell me that there's a buck using Mm -hmm. it and 
you know, this, this one buck here that I killed back in 2016, you know, big, mature five and a half year old buck and where he was spending most of his time, there wasn't five rubs in there that were bigger than a bottle. I mean, just small little rubs that you would make like a, a two-year-old would make. So right. yeah, I don't know what it is about these big wood deer, but they just, they don't leave a lot of sign, at least not in this area. So Right. I think too, you know, like my buddy and I've had long conversations about this, like trying to figure it out sometime over, sometimes over drinks where it starts to get nonsensical. But, uh, <laughs> it, you know, I, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, and I don't think I'm saying anything that people haven't said before, but it like, it's just like your deer density, right? It's like competition, yeah. right? Like, like it's so much like this one particular area, there's like, there's so much land and like the deer density isn't like, isn't high. And so they just don't have the competition or the need to really throw down, throw down a ton of sign. You know what I mean? Like there's not yeah. just that yep. much, there's not that much competition. You know, they don't see them as threats or those deer in particular are so dominant that they're just not fooling with it. You know what I yeah, mean? That like, could be it too. Yep. You know, cause I don't know. Cause I mean, you're, but the thing, the thing that was crazy though, in this particular spot was like, you have two literally world-class animals that are, that their, their core areas are literally overlapping. Like, how are they not throwing yeah. down sign and like trying to, you know, assert their dominance? You know what I mean? Like yeah, that was the part that was like, yeah, that, that was blowing my mind a little bit. Unless one was just so much older than the other one that he's on the downhill slide. And he's like, look, man, this, I'll take whatever sloppy seconds I can get from you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, it's like, unless that was kind of the, the mindset, but you know, talk to me, like you mentioned that deer that you, that you ended up arrowing that was, you know, five and a half years old, an old deer, you know, talk to me a little bit about that hunt, man. Like, how'd you find that deer? Where, how did that hunt play out? Yeah, so like I was talking before about that that patch of mountain laurel that's on the side of that ridge, that's where that buck was bedding at. And um, it was funny because, you know, I had been getting pictures of this buck for, you know, since he was two and a half years old. And, you know, this was kind of before I, you know, looked into the beast hunting tactics and stuff like that. I hadn't really put that kind of stuff together yet. And then, you know, in 2015, I started reading on it and, um, yeah, that spot on the side of that ridge had always been a good spot and I killed a couple bucks out of there and I never really pieced together why they were there. And then when I started, you know, following Dan and calling the, the hunting beat stuff like that, you know, it all kind of clicked and made sense why they were there and when they were there, you know, on certain winds. And, uh, I put a camera kind of on the outskirts of the bedding area summer, summer of 2016 and there were three different bucks using that area. And there was actually a lot bigger than the one I killed. He was, he was only a three-year-old. He was over 140. He was a good deer. Mm. And um, I I just kind of put a plan together to, to hunt that spot to try to kill any one of those bucks. I'd have shot any of them. Right. And um, that sets up perfect because, you know, it's it's kind of high on the side of that ridge. And there's a creek bottom that you can access. And, you know, with the wind out of the southwest, which is, our predominant wind, you know, early season, you know, it sets up perfect for that. So plan was to enter from the creek bottom and then kind of go up the side of this ridge and there's a, a pretty steep ditch that kind of just cuts straight up like like a rooted ditch coming out of the ridge. And I basically just used that ditch to access um, the tree that I was going to hunt. So I, I figured out this buck was exiting this this bed on the edge of this laurel thicket and just kind of dropping down the hill. I suspect because there were some oaks dropping 
had a little more elevation. And uh, there was just a few rubs, you know, coming out of there that kind of told me where he was, where he was headed. So I, I snuck up that creek bottom, up the side of the ridge, up the ditch, and then I set up right on the edge of the ditch. And um, it was, I think it was the first October I shot him, but it was the very first sit in that spot. And um, I watched him stand up out of his bed at like 65, 70 yards. And he just slowly fed his way straight down that rub line where I'd planned and I buried him just perfect as could be. <laughs> he read the script. <laughs> Yeah, just perfect. I mean, it just hardly works out that way, but that that was one of those ones where it just it just worked. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it worked out that way because like you had you had the pieces put together. You know what I mean? It's like that's one of those instances where it's like you just you thought you knew what he was going to do and you were right. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. you know it's there wasn't a lot of luck involved there. That was a lot of understanding what was going on and reading the sign and you know making your your best play what wind were you playing there? I mean, were you having to give, was, did you give him the wind on his exit? So where the bed was at in relation to the tree that I, that I hunted. So the wind coming over that ridge was pretty much coming down at an angle, you know, and I, I wasn't giving it the wind at all. Mm-hmm. So the, the day that I shot him, we had a pretty consistent, like five to 10 mile an hour wind. And I think that that helped me a lot by keeping that steady current over that ridge. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, you know, the thermals were rising. It was a big warm afternoon. I think it was in the low 70s. Um, but the thermals going up the hill were going off at an angle, kind of away from, you know, where the bottom was bedded at. So hmm. even the rising thermals were missing him by probably 50, 60 yards. Right. But, by the time he actually stood up out of his bed, the wind had kind of calmed down, the thermals started to drop. And I remember throwing milkweed, like right before I saw him, the milkweed was just flowing straight to the great bottom. So nice. it's pretty much, you know, bulletproof setup. Nice. Yeah, that's the that's the ticket there, man. What uh so uh what did you uh after you stuck an arrow in him, what was your first thought? Yeah, just kind of disbelief really. I mean, yeah, that was my first like real, you know, beast style kill, um, you know, that was pretty much all planned out from the start. You right. know, I've, you know, I've killed a lot of bucks before in the early season and, you know, I've, I've kind of started to piece it together, you know, that I could kill a buck before October 10th. That was kind of always my goal, mm-hmm. um, to kill one before then, because it seems like they're on a pretty consistent pattern. And if I can get, pictures of one or you know observe one coming out of a bedding area that they kind of do the same thing that first part of october and then right you know as you get farther into october they kind of break away and start doing other things but yeah it was it was one of those those deals that that worked out really really well and still my oldest buck to date um nice. you know five and a half year old buck in this this part of west virginia is that's pretty something. rare yeah. i mean there's not a lot of them yeah <laughs> I hear you there, man. That's for sure. I, I, and I kind of feel the same way as you, man. Like one of my goals, you know, I always kind of talk about this. Like I always try to make goals for myself of what I want to do next and, and stuff like that. And, um, for me, you know, my goal is to, um, consistently kill, kill bucks in October, you know, um, for me, yeah. like middle, middle of October, like I want to start killing my bucks in Pennsylvania before like the 15th of October. Um, 
Yep. And the reason being is like, you know, I was talking to my buddy Chad Sylvester from from Exodus. We were talking the one day about this. Actually, I think we talked about that on this on his podcast. Um, but, I, you know, he was like, what do you consider early season? And I said, middle of October, like the 15th. And he, he felt more like just right before that pre-rut time period. Like, so like the 22nd, 23rd, yeah. like right. He's like, anytime before that. And I said, and I agree with him, but I was like, my season comes in like the 21st of the 21st of September. In, Cause I live in a special yeah. regs unit in PA. I was like, so by that yeah. time I was like, I've already been hunting four weeks, you know, and the deer have already yeah. been pressured for four weeks. You know, I was like, so for me, I was like, it's really like that first two weeks of October. Like I would like to have it done. I was like, cause I just feel like the guys that get it done that time of year consistently, like those dudes are just killers. You know, like they, you know what I mean? Like Andy May, like that dude kills a big deer like every October, you know what I mean? It's like, well, you put him on the moon and he'll kill a big deer, but Uh, he could, he could kill a big buck in the Walmart parking lot. (laughs) He could, (laughs) he could too, man. But, uh, but that's my goal. I'm the, I'm the same as you. It's like, I want, I want to start doing that. And also because like, I travel for rut every year. And so it's like, yeah, you know, with Pennsylvania season, like our, like our archery season really kind of ends like, you know, there's a week between, um, it's like a week before Thanksgiving. I think it's, it stops. Right. And then, so it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of short. Like you kind of miss like the best part of the rut, that late part of the rut or whatever. I um, mean, then that's usually when I'm just getting back from, Iowa, Ohio, Missouri, wherever, you know what I mean? I'm usually just getting back then. So it's like, I really only have till the end of October to try to kill something in PA usually. Um, which is another reason why I'd like to get it done earlier. I thought I had, I thought I had one on like dead to rights last year, man. I had one on a pattern that I thought I was just like, man, this should be a slam dunk. And then he, (laughs) he ghosted me. And then I, I caught back up with him on a different, I had him on camera and then I moved another piece of the property and I ended up scouting and finding him. On a, just like on a freelance hunt and found him and just, you know, we locked eyes, saw each other and that was it, you know, and, and, I, <laughs> and I never saw him again after that. So, but you know, that's, that's my goal. I'm right there with you, man. Trying to get that, trying to get those October bucks, man. So I feel like I'm uh like I'm adequate, I guess we could say as a, as a deer hunter. <laughs> well, I just, I don't know. I just, I like that early part of the season just because, you know, your average guy isn't hunting yet. You know, yeah. those guys that wait until the end of October when it cools down. But, man, I like hunting when it's hot, you know, as miserable as it can be mm-hmm. just because there's no pressure. And, you know, I, I really just feel so much more in the game just because I can put all my scouting into practice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can I feel like I can really plan everything out. And it's just, I don't know, it's just it's such a cool, uh, you know, a tactic, I guess you could say, just because it's, you know, you can kind of plan everything out and when it works out the way you want it to. It's it's a lot of fun on that way. And right. you know, like you said, I I kinda of always set the goal of October tenth to try to kill one and um I usually do pretty good. I've gotten better at it over the years. And I've actually I think I've become a lot worse rut hunter. And, you know, <laughs> I like the early season better than the rut just because everything kinda of goes out the window and right. uh, I get more frustrated during the rubbies as an early season. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. You sound like my buddy Greg Litzinger. He says the same thing. Like, rut starts coming up, and like, and I'll be getting excited because I'll be getting ready to go on a trip. And he's like, man, I hate the rut. I hate it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I lose more opportunities for deer during the rut than any other time of the year. He's like, I'll see him, and then it's like I get a shot. He's like 10 yards away, then he sees a doe, and he, like, takes off running. You know, he was like, what, what yeah. the hell just happened? You know, so 
But man, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit of mobile and saddle hunting, you know, while I had you on before yeah. I let you, before I let you go, you know, we've talked about mobile hunting and how much of that's a part of, you know, what you do. Of course you work, you know, for, uh, for tethered. And <clears throat> like I said, at the top, like my introduction to you really was, you know, I've been saddle hunting for two full seasons now and like it's, that's it dude i mean i'm like i made up with it you know it's, i love being in a saddle <laughs> the only thing that i added to my game this year was uh added a ghillie jacket because the beauty of hunting out of a saddle is that i can take all my stuff in and i'm not taking much in put a ghillie jacket on and if the if the hunt calls from a hunt from the ground i can hunt from the ground if it calls to hop, hop into a tree i can yeah. hunt from the tree and it allows me to be you know that multiple and that versatile and i mean i even take my platform with me turkey hunting i'm using it as a seat you know what I mean? I just whirl in, yeah. put it on a, you know, I take a little thermo seat pad that I cut in half and put it under my rear end so it doesn't hurt. And I, and I use that as a seat, you know? And, and so I got a nice yeah. little rig set up, man. But I, and that was kind of whenever I was first getting into it, man, I was watching a lot of your videos about climbing mechanisms and stuff like that and trying to figure out what my method was going to be and, and all those things. So I want to kind of go through, you know, what your setup is, you know, what you're using and, and of course why. So you know, if, if you would just talk a little bit about your saddle, I'm assuming you're probably hunting out of the Phantom at this point. So if you would just talk a little bit about that and then we'll just kind of go through your, through your gear. Yeah. So I started saddling back in like 2014. So I've had a big, you know, evolution, you know, the whole gamut of saddles that I've run through and the platforms and all this stuff. I mean, you know, I started back before you could really buy a lot of the stuff that's out now. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad because I got to go through, you know, building all that stuff. And, you know, I love doing that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of, you know, kept evolving in my setup. And, you know, of course, you know, Tether come out and I'm good friends with Greg and Ernie. And, you know, I got to be part of, you know, all the testing and all that, of, of all that stuff. So, you know, obviously when, you know, we started with Tethered, I started using all that. And, um, you know, hunted out of the Manus, you know, for full season or whatever. And then, you know, before the Phantom come out, you know, this spring I hunted out of all last year and, uh, you know, I used the Phantom and the Predator platform and, um, you know, my setup's pretty simple, you know, just the saddle, the platform and my two climbing methods are either some modded hot helium sticks with an aider or I'll use climbing spikes. And mm-hmm. uh, I use the climbing spikes probably 95% of the time. If I, if it's legal to use, I use the climbing spikes just mm-hmm. because of it's just so much faster and easier. And, you know, my setup is they're under three pounds. So just, it's hard to beat, you know, lightweight, but, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple setup. You know, I use the sticks on public land when, when the spikes aren't legal, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty slick system. I think with my spikes, the, the saddle and my ropes and the platform, I'm at like eight and a half pounds. So <laughs> I know, man, uh, pretty it's lightweight. Crazy. Yeah. For sure. And are you using, you're using the predator platforms, what you're using? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for folks out there that are listening, like if you wouldn't mind, like I, I've mentioned it before, I think in the past, but like from your, in your opinion, like what are the, the, the pros and what do you like about a platform versus using some type of like, you know, squirrel steps or whatever the case might be? Yeah. So the platform to me, I just like to be able to stand up and, pivot myself around, you know, more like a traditional tree stand, you know, especially on a long sit, I'll stand up and turn around and face away from the tree just to, you know, give myself a break for a little bit. But, um, 
you know, I tried the, the steps and stuff like that and some other methods and, you know, with stuff like that, and you just, you're all your weight is in a saddle all day long. So, you know, if you're, if your saddle's not like fine tuned, like perfect to how you need it, you know, you're going to have some, some, un, you know, uncomfortable sense. So mm-hmm. you know, the platform is just, you know, it's, it's a little bit more comfortable for me. Um, I think it's easier to shoot from, you know, I, I can shoot 360 degrees around the tree without, you know, moving a whole lot, you know, it just takes a little bit of practice, but you know, you're, you know, you got a weight trade off a little bit heavier, a little bit more to pack, but, um, you know, comfort and shooting ability, I think it's, you know, I think the benefits outweigh the, the cons of that. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. And that's what I always kind of tell people if they're, if they're thinking about it and they're like, you know, do I, should I get the platform or not? I'm like, look, especially if you're making a transition from a tree stand, like for yeah. me, you know, whenever I had Greg on, like he and I talked about it and we actually did a session where he interviewed me. Like he took over the show and interviewed me as like a, yep. as like a newer saddle hunter or whatever. I and, remember that. Yep. Yeah. And, and what I, what I always said was, was that, you know, I wanted to make the transition because of all the things we talked about during this entire episode, you know, this evening is, it was just about the, mo- you know, how mobile you hunt, how I like to hunt mobile. And like, I just wanted something that was going to fit that. But my biggest concern was just making the transition. And so I wanted something that gave me a sense of familiarity to a stand. Yeah. Right. And so right it was, back. it was still that one little piece that like still felt somewhat like, Oh, I, I get this. I understand this. You know, this feels, so- yeah. this feels similar, you know? Um, and so that to me was like the, the thing that made it so easy for me to make the move to it because from that point it, it was just, it was just a matter of getting comfortable shooting and it's not, and it's not nearly as hard as, as people think that it is. And the platform for me really was like the thing that kind of sealed the deal. Um, and being, being comfortable in shooting, just, you know, loading your hips into the saddle when you're taking a shot and, you know, allowing that to kind of almost be your foundation and, you know, knowing yep. what I was doing with my feet, just put my mind at rest to a degree, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you're coming from a tree stand to the saddle, I mean, the platform definitely makes sense. Um, I mean, you're already dropping a lot of weight in bulk anyways, just by switching to that system. So, you know, once you get comfortable, you know, using the saddle, you know, then you can move on to trying those other methods. And that's the cool thing about it is there's so many different setups you can use on any given hunt. I mean, you can switch it up every hunt if you need to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll have hunts where I'll just use the top of my sticks, you know, mm-hmm. if it's going to be you know, just an hour or two or whatever, and you want to go super late, you know, you can do that. So it's a versatile setup for sure. And, um, yeah, yeah, it definitely takes some more practice and stuff like that, but. Yeah. I think once you get used to it, it's man, it's just so hard to beat, especially, you know, if you're like me and you still don't know and you carry that kind of gear, you know, you just, it just makes it so much more streamlined and yep. easier to use, I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, man. It's, uh, I'm the same as you where it's like depending on how long I'm going to hunt. So like, for example, if I'm going in on a morning in October, maybe before work, and I'm only going to get, a, only going to be able to hunt for like two hours, maybe it's like, I don't want to take the platform. I just take my sticks and I stand on the top. I, I have a, I cut my lone wolves off at you know, like 17 inches and put a top or put a double step on the top of each of them. Um, and I'll just stand on that top, that top step for the, for those yeah. two hours. Cause I can tell my feet can tolerate that for two hours, you know, yeah. um, you know what I mean? And, 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 and that's it, you know, and I only carry two sticks and I use a five step yeah. climbingator. And then with that, it's like, I can usually get right around. Like if I stretch them, if I really stretch them and then I kind of stretch my platform too, I can probably be at around 16 feet 
at my platform, you know? Yeah. Um, and then if I need to get a little higher than that, I carry like one Bullman step with me that I could literally step on a Bullman step and step up and probably get my platform to like 18. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I run, you know, cause I, I'm finding a lot of times that I don't really need to get much higher than like, like that 16 foot or whatever. Like I'm in pretty good yeah. shape. And most of the time, because you know, especially whenever I'm traveling to hunt, I don't always know where I'm going to end up. Um, and I don't always want to carry a third stick or a fourth stick with right. me because I don't know how yeah. far I'm going to have to hike and stuff like that. And I just don't want have to, to have to deal with it. And so I just use, you know, those two sticks and a five-step climbinator. And if I need that extra two feet, that little Bullman step is like next to nothing. And it'll get me that extra two feet if I need to get to it, you know? And so that's kind of, kind of what I run. And it's, I mean, it served me well, you know, I, I don't ever seem, I don't ever plan to turn back, man. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, and I find myself hunting pretty low during you know the early season. You got pretty good yeah. cover, but you know as the, the foliage falls off, you know I find myself getting way up there. You know, I I had a tree that I hunted last year. I think I was forty five feet in. Oh <laughs> man, yeah, that's the get a little pucker factor on that one. <laughs> yeah, I maxed out up rope and drug the bow halfway up the tree and yeah. uh it was just one of those spots on the side of a ridge where you know, to, to get the wind in my favor i just had to go below where they were traveling and right didn't want to be eye level with them so it was just it wasn't an ideal setup but right. you know you can you can do it if you need to it's just yep it gets a little hairy at times <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure man well with that dude i think uh I think we covered just about everything, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh and and, and chatting. We gotta make sure we uh we stick together since we're brothers of the guitar and of the saddle and make sure we stay in touch. Yeah, and uh but before I let you go, if you wouldn't mind, tell folks out there where they can find out more about you, where they can follow along with you and, and, and get your content. Yeah, so I'm kinda all over the place. You know, I do stuff for, for the Tethered Nation YouTube. I've got my own YouTube that's under Fling and Arrows. Um and I've got another YouTube that I do with a buddy of mine that's called Hunt Appalachia. And, um, you know, I kind of post between all three of those. Um, my Instagram is J underscore S H A F 30. So I post some stuff on there, but yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, but, uh, I try to put out some, some decent content, you know, during the season. So check it out. <laughs> yeah, man. The videos are good, man. Keep them coming. Shreds the guitar. So make sure you watch the shred videos that he puts up, uh, up as well. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, you look, he's a fellow beast hunter and, uh, and a saddle hunter. So like, give him, give him a like, give him some love. Thanks, Jerry, for coming on, brother. I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast and hell while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a subscribe there as well. I'll be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Gumleaf USA Boots. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.